Hello, 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 my friends, and welcome to Failing Forward Podcast. We have an incredible interview today with Josh Ardier, aka Batman. This man is incredible. He has a heart of gold. He is looking to pour back into the lives of so many people that are being affected by things that I can't even imagine. Like that, there's no reason why children have to have to go through some of the things that he has seen and he's been experiencing. And I just want to go ahead and pour into his story and have him share with you some of the amazing things that he's been doing, accomplishing both in charitable assets with his company, failing forward in business and entrepreneurship, and then also talking about um, certain things that he's gone through in his personal life, overcoming grief, how he's gotten through that and come out stronger on the other side with passion, with purpose, and with joy in his heart. Josh is the CEO and founder of Lions View Development. He also started a charitable organization called Smiles Through Cars, where he dresses up as Batman, literally, and drives very, very fantastic, beautiful, exotic cars like yellow Lamborghinis and takes children that are currently going through a battle of some sort of an illness or disease or cancer, and he takes them on rides. He wants to see smiles on their faces, hence the name Smiles Through Cars. Josh Audier, welcome to Feeling Forward Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So great to have you. So talk to us. How did you get started on this journey? First with your company, Lions View. Let's, let's talk about failing forward in entrepreneurship. Sure. So entrepreneurship is definitely something that you need to get used to along the way, because a lot of people look at people when they're successful and they see the exotic cars and the houses and the private jets and the yachts and all that stuff, right? Fill in the blank, the quote unquote American dream. And they're like, oh, oh my God, this guy's got everything. But like what they don't see is that journey that it took to get there, right? When you quote unquote made it, it's easy. But until you get to that point, it is so tough. The sleepless nights, the due diligence, the heartache, you know, the, the unexpected bumps and bumps and, you know, tribulations you have throughout that journey. It's like, I could write so many books on things that have occurred, like things you'd never expect. And then just the positive things that you see. Um, so it's just something that I happen to love because when you're working for someone else, you don't necessarily get to see all of that um, versus when you're doing it on your own and you're kind of building a company and going through that and you have no choice but to sink or swim. And it's just like you figure it out no matter what. So, yes, this is a, a great, great podcast. Great topic. Love it. And thank you for having me. Of course. And I think a lot of people don't understand with entrepreneurship, it is a bumpy road. It is not a straight road, right? So can you share with me some of the failure stories along your way of achieving greatness and success in your business? What are some of the crazy things that have happened that people are like, there's no way that happens, but it does. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could talk about some of the deals. Let's say you're doing due diligence on real estate deals and you're there. And I remember before I even had a company when I was just kind of on my own and brokering deals. Um, and I was brokering a deal. It was a $68 million building that I was trying to sell. And, you know, I knew the seller, I was able to find the buyer and the seller wanted 67 really was his, was yeah, 67, 67.5 was like his asking, like that was the minimum, right? That's what he was going for. Um, this, the buyer was only offering, let's say $500,000 below his asking price. All right. So let's say it was 68 million. He was asking six, he was offering 67.5. And they both agreed prior. And then at the closing, basically, I spoke to the seller and I said, look, on this sale, I'm going to make 1% of the total sale, which would be $680,000 is what I would have made on that. I said, but the buyer only wants to spend, let's say, 67.5. So there's a $500,000 spread between the two. 
I said, I'll forego $500,000 from my commission. I'll only make 180, contribute the 500 that I'm supposed to make into the deal. Cause I'd rather make 180 than to make nothing. He's like, no, I want the, the buyer to pay the extra 500. So I went to the buyer. I said, look, at the closing, I will give you a personal check here for $500,000 bank certified. It'll cash on the spot. I said, but I need you to put your contribute an extra 500 into the deal in order to make it happen. I said, because I'm making 680, I'll contribute my 500. I'll walk away with 180. Like, I don't mind. 180 grand is still a nice amount of money. Guy goes, no, I'm not willing to pay more than 67.5 for this deal. I don't want him to get the extra 500. Neither of them would budge on where they were. The deal didn't go through. That is crazy. And when you look at it now from like a grand perspective from the outside looking in, you're like, it's the same number, you guys. It's the same number. It made no sense, especially for both of them, because that building didn't sell for quite a while. And whatever the seller had in mind, because they obviously wanted to sell and use the money for something else, they weren't able to do that. And the buyer wanted to buy it, obviously, because he thought it would appreciate what it did over time. So he lost out on that because the building ended up being worth more money in the long run. So like it, they both lost on that. Everybody lost. I lost the seller and the buyer. Everyone lost on that because they were too stubborn and, and pride. You know, they, you can't have that pride yeah. for such a thing that doesn't even make sense. Like there was no reason for each of them to just feel like I'm better than you. And therefore I'm not willing to budge, even though I'm still getting the same exact thing you wanted. You wanted $68 million. You're getting it. Who cares if I paid the extra 500 or not? Right. Yeah. So. Pride, ego, and greed are three words that come to mind when I hear that story. And I think a lot of people that are going down this entrepreneurship road, it's very easy once you accomplish what you set out to accomplish and you've brought your goals into fruition to feel or be any one of those three or all three of them. So how do you avoid yourself as a highly successful entrepreneur falling into the category of being too proud, having too much ego or being too greedy along the way? Sure. So first thing that I, that I live by is that I could learn anything from anybody, right? It doesn't mean if you're a custodian, sanitation worker, homeless person does not matter. There's always someone that could add value into my life, no matter who you are. I don't learn just from the CEOs and, and the guys that are more affluent than I am and stuff like that. Like, that's great. I can learn from them, but I could, I could also learn from the cleaning lady that comes to my house to help out. Like, and I have that mentality is I'm no better or worse because of the amount of money that I have. It doesn't define who we are. It's your actions that define you. It's how you look at somebody, how you treat somebody and that. So, you know, that's one thing and one way that I stay grounded and that it's just like, we're, like I said, like we're all equal. Like there's no point in greed because whatever I have, you know, the only reason why I want more is to give more. I don't need another car. I don't need another, let's say a jet, a yacht, a house or this, like it doesn't make me happier, right? I don't need an extra zero in my bank account. It doesn't do anything for me. Right. It's great for generational wealth and all that. Okay. There are benefits to that. But in terms of my actual goals, like it doesn't add to anything I'm trying to do. So greed and all of that, it's not, it was who I was. And we could get into that when I was younger, like I wanted to be Bruce Wayne. I didn't want to be Batman. You know, I wanted to be a multi-billionaire and the largest car collection, most amount of yachts and all of that. And that's really what I was aspiring to have. Like I would have been all three of those if I didn't have life-changing events and kind of steered me onto like a proper path and actually opened my eyes to like what's truly important in life. So I would have succumbed to that trap, if you want to call it, of life. So For I'm sure. glad I didn't. And that's, and that's a very common trap. A lot of entrepreneurs are like, I'm going to go ahead and make 
X amount of dollars so that I can have X, Y, Z, right? It's about all the things that they're accumulating. Where did that shift happen in your life? What were the life-changing events that changed your perspective, that changed your mindset, and that changed your values? Yeah. So lucky for me, it came at a younger age. Uh, it was the end of my teenage years, beginning when I was about 19, 20. Um, and that was really because until that point, like I grew up in Long Island, which is a very affluent area. Um, but I didn't come from like a super wealthy family. We were, you know, middle class. We weren't wealthy, we weren't poor. But, you know, a lot of the children that I went to school with were extremely affluent. And they picked on me for that. You know, we didn't have the exotic cars. We didn't take the vacations and the private jets and all that stuff. Like I didn't have that. I didn't normal life. Um, and I remember even to the point, like one day, you know, I, I saved up enough money and I went, you know, cause my parents wanted to teach me value. So they wouldn't give me tons to buy stuff. It was like, look, we'll take care of what you need, but anything excess, you have to work, earn, do it and do whatever you want. It's your money. If you want to buy it, do it. So I saved up money. I went to banana Republic, which for me at that age was like expensive. And I went to buy a pair of pants and a shirt and like a jacket or a sweater, like a whole thing. And I was super proud. And I remember going into school and I walked in and there was like this group of kids that always like picked on me. And they looked at me and they're like, oh, I didn't know kids like you could afford that. What'd you do, steal it? And like, they kind of like crushed me and it made me feel horrible. And that's kind of part of why I wanted to become a billionaire was to kind of show like all those kids, like I could have everything you had and more. And that's really like my motivation was coming from a negative place. Um, and then, you know, even as I was younger, I always had a passion for exotic cars. I always loved Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Bugattis, like those kinds of things. I always just liked it, right? It wasn't about showing off. I just enjoyed that. And, you know, one day I just had an idea because I developed relationships with wealthier people that had big hearts and they would just let me borrow the cars from time to time, just take home. And one day I just had an idea. I said, look, the same way that I grew up loving these cars, there had to be some sick and underprivileged children that had that same desire. And I started calling up all different types of foundations and charities saying, hey, you know, my name is Josh Arie. I don't own the cars, but I've access to tons of different exotic cars. If ever you have a child that makes a wish to go in it, let me know. And one day I got a call back that there was an eight-year-old girl who was battling stage four cancer. And her dream was to go into a Lamborghini. And I was like, perfect. I knew someone in Great Neck. And I called them up. I'm like, look, this is a situation. Can I borrow your car for two days? And this was a defining moment that changed my entire life. And I'm, I'll describe exactly what happened. You know, we surprised this little girl. She was home in between her chemo treatments. And they bring out this little girl. She's looking down at the ground. She's all sad. And she looks up and she sees this bright yellow convertible Lamborghini parked in front of her house. And you see like the entire child's face like lights up the biggest smile you've ever seen. And I get her in the car. I put the top down drive around for like 15, 20 minutes and they get her back, put her in the wheelchair. They wheel her into the house. And as soon as she gets into the house, the mother starts hysterically crying, like nonstop bawling. And this was the first time I truly had a one-on-one -on -one interaction with a child that was that sick. So I looked at the mother. I said, look, if I said something or did something offensive, I didn't mean it. You know, I thought maybe somehow I was insensitive. And she goes, oh, she goes, you don't understand. She said, my daughter was diagnosed with cancer at the age of four. She's had over 20 surgeries. She got an infection, which caused her to become partially paralyzed, which is why she's in the wheelchair. She said, this is the first time I've seen my daughter smile in four years since she was diagnosed with cancer. And like, for me at that moment, I was like, if I could have such an impact with such a stupid thing, like I'm still a huge car enthusiast, but at the end of the day, it's just a car. And I was like, if I could have an impact with such a stupid thing, then I, I need to dedicate my life to doing this. And kind of my goals completely shifted from wanting to have the biggest car collection and all of that, just to kind of show off to wanting to be able to afford these things, to use them for a greater purpose. And since then, you know, I've been doing this for more than a decade and 
I've been privileged to visit more than 25,000 children and it's just been an amazing journey. And now we have this nonprofit with tons of volunteers and it's really expanding and, you know, it's grown from being super selfish to kind of selfless. And that's kind of a much happier and better lifestyle. And I, I truly believe that a lot of the success that I've had is purely because of the fact that I found that quote unquote, like X factor, you know, the Y factor, it was all about the person and all that of why I'm doing it. It wasn't about me. It was, I want to make more so I could give more. And that gave me the motivation to kind of push harder and actually do a lot more than I probably would have been capable of if it was coming from that negative feeling of hate and jealousy versus like just wanting it out of love to give and help. So, yeah. And what I keep thinking about is how a lot of us, you know, we'll, we'll be driven by someone that said we can't do something. So automatically we think I'm going to prove you wrong. Right. So we're seeking external validation, external acknowledgement, other people's approval of our successes and what we're doing versus this internal validation, this sense of pride and joy and love and affinity towards actually making a big difference, which is what you're feeling when you go and you see this little girl's face light up and you're like, wow, I just changed someone's life. Even if just for a moment, even if just for the day, I gave her a feeling that she hasn't felt in years. And that, that fills your cup, right? That, that sense of purpose, of passion, of joy that you bring into other people's lives, it validates you internally for everything that you're doing. And that, that's what entrepreneurs need to find. As an entrepreneur, if you're just seeking things, material things, a laundry list of things to acquire, and you're seeking other people's acknowledgement of what you're doing, the motivation is going to be short-lived. You'll be excited 100%. for a short period of time. It's going to die off and then you're just going to crash and burn. And that's where executive burnout comes from. That's why so many entrepreneurs struggle. Yep. It's a hundred percent. I mean, look, there's tons of people who are like, oh, I wish I had a Mercedes to get the Mercedes. Then I want a Bentley to get the Bentley. They want the Rolls Royce. They want the Bugatti. They want the Pagani, Koenigsegg, et cetera, et cetera. They keep going more and more and more yeah. and they keep acquiring it. But then there's just this, still the emptiness, right? If they were happy with that Mercedes, then how come you need the Bentley? If you're happy with the Bentley, how come you need the Rolls Royce? If you're happy, right? It's a stepping stone to get to this endless pit, but it never satisfies you because it's an endless satisfaction. But like you were saying, when you see these kids' faces and the smiles and knowing that for a parent to see their child smiling, like they would give up anything in the world to know that their child could be happy for a little bit and to feel like a quote unquote normal, healthy child. And if we're able to bring that for free, then why not? Like, that's really the question. It's kindness is free. It's something everybody could afford to give. Like I, I get so many messages on my Instagram saying, I don't own a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or any of the cars that you have, you know, I can't be, I can't do these things. And I said, look, I, I was doing random acts of kindness way before this mission ever began. Like it didn't start with that Lamborghini. It, it starts with saying, good morning, holding the door open, you know, pay for the cup of coffee online for the guy behind you say hi to a homeless person, right? How many people do you think walk around and actually talk to them and treat them like a human being? Yeah. You don't have to give tons of money, but you could donate your time, right? There's so much you could be doing. And that's like the real important part of life. Like that's where you get the satisfaction. Yeah. Time and, and not only time, but attention. Like people want to be seen. Yeah. People want to be heard. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, look, I've gone to homeless shelters, domestic violence, abuse victims, nursing homes, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the, the list is endless and you just sometimes you want to talk. Like you said, they just want to be treated like a human being, right? Like sometimes I'll be walking down when before the pandemic in Manhattan, let's say, and I'd be near 34th street and I would see a homeless person and, you know, it's in the middle of the winter. I would ask them like, Hey, are you cold? Like to, just 
general question, like saying, are you cold? It's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm freezing. I was like, here, can I give you my coat? Can I give you my gloves? Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can I do something like that? You know, can I help you? And a lot of times, like, it's not just about the gloves itself. It's the fact that like, I showed that I cared about you. I didn't just give him the gloves. I said, do you need it? You know, can it help you? And it, it, how many times do you think people did that? Like about, it was 2019 towards the end, before the pandemic hit the end of the year, my friends and I, we rented an ice cream truck and we went out on a Wednesday night to Manhattan and we had about a hundred, 150 homeless people that lined up and every homeless person got to order from the ice cream truck, like a normal person. Like how, when was the last time you think any of these people ever got to go to an ice cream truck and order whatever they wanted? Yeah. Like it was something that didn't take up tons and tons and tons of money or time, but it made a big difference for their lives. Like these people felt like a human being, right? I couldn't cure them and get them a brand new house for all of them, but I was able to make them feel like a normal human being, feel appreciated for a little bit. It's like, look, I know you're down on your luck at this moment, but like, just know, I still care about you. Yeah. And sometimes that's all that they need. It's just to know, like, I'm here for you. Little things are big things. And I think a lot of us are trying to make a huge ripple effect, right? We're like, we're going to get rid of, and and I'm victim to this. I want to get rid of cancer. Like, I just want to do whatever I can to find the cure for cancer. It's such a big audacious goal. Or some people think I'm going to eradicate homelessness. I'm going to bring world peace. And these goals are so big, but you forget that little things become big things. And if you just focus on tiny little things that create an impact, they create little ripple effects. That's how we're moving humanity in the right direction. That's how we're creating positive social change. So for the person that may not be a super successful entrepreneur yet, they may be just starting out or they're just very happy being a homemaker or whatever path they've chosen to do. What are some ways that we can help people find their path, their purpose and their passion and a way to create positive impact in society? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I found out by actually going out and doing things, right? I didn't know how much I truly loved helping people. I've always been involved with it, but to this extent with the children that are so sick and, you know, during times of despair and stuff like that, the only way I found it out was by actually doing it, right? It's like, how do you know what you're going to love to do for the rest of your life? It's by going out, interning when you're younger, doing different things and figuring out what you do and don't like, what subject you enjoyed in school, stuff like that. And you're figuring it out. And the way that I really got into it was that I was told when I was younger, obviously money does matter, right? We need to pay our bills. We need to do that, but I don't need 50 cars in my garage, right? There's a happy medium between the two. And it was kind of like, if money didn't matter to you, what would you want to do for the rest of your life? Like what would truly make you happy, right? Do you want to be a teacher? Do you want to be, you know, let's say a yoga instructor, whatever, fill in the blank. And for me, it was actually volunteering, which is not sustainable according to the average, you know, quote unquote expectations and mindset and whatever, but that's my passion. Like I want to retire and just volunteer every day for the rest of my life. Like that's my goal. And everything that I do in life, even as an entrepreneur, the only reason why I am an entrepreneur is because I can't work for somebody. No one in the world is going to hire me knowing that Sunday to Saturday between any hours of the day or night, I'm going to be out volunteering seven days a week forever. Like that's just not find me one employer in the world. That's going to say, okay, no problem. You're hired. Like it's just not happening. So the only way that I could live my dream was to figure out how to do it. And it was tough. Like there were some years where like my first paycheck, when I was working strictly off commission, my first paycheck sometimes came in August or September. Like I went eight or nine months without a penny. And like, it's tough for the average person, but if you truly believe in your goals and you're like, look, you know what? And one word that you said, which I'm going to talk upon is that while you were talking, you said like the word yet. And that's a huge, huge mentality that entrepreneurs and people need to have 
It's that during those eight or nine months, I said, okay, I wasn't successful yet. You know, I, I didn't close the deal yet. It was all these things. I said, I'm going to do it. It didn't happen today. And I would take a step back and say, look, today didn't work out as well as I'd hope or planned, but what can I do differently tomorrow? What can I take out of what occurred today so that I can make tomorrow a better day? You know, I can make next month, next year, next quarter, whatever it is, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's the most important part is a lot of people are afraid to fail, but failure is not it. Like failure is actually, I love failure. It's one of the best things as an entrepreneur. Like, thank God I say this over and over. Like when I first started out in real estate, like I went a very, very, very long time until I really started making money. And that was the biggest blessing in the world. Because if I would have started off and I closed one deal and the next deal, I wouldn't have really learned and built that foundation to be who I am today. And I think that's the most important part is people don't talk about, like they talk about the success, right? Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and all these things. Yes, right now their company, yeah. With their stock options and all that, yes, it's very, very easy to sit back and just make money off your stock options. But what about all the heartache and all the failures that they had to endure to get to that point? And I think that's the most important part of being an entrepreneur, of being a wife, a parent, a son, a daughter, whatever, right? Whatever you are, you need to fail in order to succeed. But accept the failure, embrace the failure, learn from the failure, and don't let it hurt you. You have to say, this is amazing. Like, I'm not a failure because I failed. I'm going to learn from it. And you're truly never, ever, ever a failure until you quit. And that's the most important part, right? Look at Thomas Edison, right? We all know, what do we have right here? The light bulb. That's so funny. I was literally just going to say that quote. And then you said it because that's what this podcast is all about. It's about exposing the failing forward, the story of, okay, I got to the success that you see now you see the outside package, but what you don't see is the pain and the heartache and the challenges and the triumphs that I've had to overcome to get to where I am today. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to be raw. We want to be authentic. We want to talk about the journey and you're right. Thomas Edison said it best when he was developing the light bulb, he didn't fail 10,000 times. He just found 10,000 ways that didn't work before he found the one way that worked. That's what it is. Failure is your greatest lesson. If you look at it that way, everything is happening to teach you something to help you improve in some way. Right? So if people can change their mindset and their perspective towards failure is not a negative thing that's happening to them, but a positive thing that's happening for them to help up level them. That's really when perspective changes and everything else around that will change too. fail forward. No, hundred percent. And, you know, one thing that I didn't really even bring up was, you know, I, I did have a younger sibling, um, unfortunately that passed away when I was about 20 years old. Um, she randomly got sick. She was a healthy child. She had no history, no medications, no allergies, nothing. She just had a cold. Like that was it. She just had a little bit of a sniffle, didn't feel well, nothing major. And then I remember waking up the next morning, there were paramedics in my house and she was turning blue and they had to, you know, take her to the hospital. And seven days later, she passed away. And, you know, it's probably the darkest moment in my entire life. And, you know, looking back now and seeing the fact that she passed away, I was bullied. I didn't grow up with money and all these other issues that I've had, like my darkest times really enabled me to be the person who I am today, you know, through all these hardships and struggles. And if you want to call them like major bumps on the road, um, you know, really helped shape me to be who I am. And if I wouldn't have had those things, like I wouldn't be Batman. Like I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be as empathetic to people going through their own struggles and stuff. And I could relate to children being bullied. I think now it's even worse than when I was growing up because cyberbullying and all that stuff, you know, at least when I was in school, it was in school and that was it. it. Didn't come home with me. 
now children could be bullied 24 seven. And, you know, so I definitely could relate to a lot of these things. And it's sometimes these, you know, if you want to call them bumps from an entrepreneurial kind of perspective, it's these bumps that help define you and help shape you. And if you kind of take a step back and look at it and say, what could I be doing, right? These dark moments enable me to be the light for other people going through those times. And I think that's the most important part as an entrepreneur is that you're going to have your own struggles. And then once you get through it, you could help other people going through those situations. Like you're not the only one in the world going through that. There are tons of other people that lost the loved one. There are tons of other people that were bullied. There are tons of other people that didn't grow up with money. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But instead of focusing on the negatives, like I kind of take a step back and I talk about one of my uh, a friend's father. His name is Alan Wilzig. His father was Siggy Wilzig. Um, he was a Holocaust survivor. I think one of the only person in his family that survived Auschwitz at like a young age, he was a teenager. And he came to America with nothing in his pocket. And he just sold his company a couple of years ago for $1 billion, billion with the B. And he was, he owned a bank and oil companies and all these different things. And he said, look, if you talk about the Holocaust and different things, like they're not called Holocaust victims, they're called Holocaust survivors. And it's kind of up to you. No one can control what happens in your life, but you can control how you decide to react. And it's solely up to you to decide if you're going to be a survivor of what occurred or if you're going to be a victim of your past and dwell on it for the rest of your life. And it's really up to you. So as an entrepreneur, as a person, you need to understand that there's things that are going to happen. You can be sad, right? I definitely mourned over the death of my sister and I still do. Like there's an emptiness in my heart that will never be filled, you know, but at the same time, like I can't let that destroy the rest of my life because it's not something that she would have wanted. So you definitely sit there and you mourn and you go through certain things, but you can't let these things destroy who you are. And I think that's one of the most important things to learn in life as an entrepreneur or just as a person is that when these unexpected things occur, whatever it is, right? Even if you lose your job, sometimes even that's a blessing. Like there are people that got fired before 9-11 occurred and they were extremely upset that they lost their job. But once 9-11 occurred, they were like, oh my God, thank you for letting me lose my job. And a lot of times it's not as black and white, but if you have that mentality, I promise you, you're going to have a happier, a healthier and a more successful life because you're going to be seeing things positively instead of negative, right? The pessimistic people sometimes have the best opportunity in front of them and they miss it because they can't happen to me. And I think that's really important to know is that you say, it can happen. It will happen. I deserve it, but not coming from a greedy, haughty way, just from a more positive mentality and to move forward. I think that's really important for the listeners to hear. That's huge. That, that power of positivity and looking at situations from a positive perspective and through a positive lens, your story about losing your sister. I mean, that, that, that hit home to me, when you first told me I was sitting there crying and I I kept thinking about what would happen if I lost my brother tomorrow, how would I rebound from that? How would I come back stronger from that? And, and I honestly, I don't know the answer to that question. So I have to ask you, how did you get through that extreme loss, extreme grieving period and still come back at the other end, joyful and positive and purposeful? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, look, it's been a while, but I'm still grieving the loss of my sister. Like it's something that never, ever, ever goes away. Um, But at the same time, I mean, thank God I do have, you know, a lot of cousins and a couple of older siblings and parents and, you know, other people that I'm very close with. So I did have a good support system. 
Um, and then I also talk about it openly between like the loss of my sister and visiting the kids. I mean, thank God there's a lot of happy times and I'm there and able to help them. But unfortunately, there's a lot of times where I'm there to grant the child's final wish. And it's not easy seeing a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, like dying of cancer, laying in a bed. You know, you think of a child, they should be about running around, playing, enjoying. And you see a kid that's frail and weak and all these machines and tubes and all this stuff hooked up to them. And it's just, it, it's a horrible thing to see. So I go to a therapist at least once a week and I talk about it openly. You know, I know people talk about it all the time about going to the gym and it's like, look at my body, you know, my summer body and whatever. And that's great. But, you know, there's like a stigma in our society about going to a therapist. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with it. Like I talk openly and I know one of my brothers that worked at Goldman Sachs and some of these other companies, like as a higher ranking executive, like they had to see a therapist every once in a while. It was recommended because of what they deal with and all that, the stress of the job and the money. And so it's something that I talk openly. Like if you have an issue that you're going through and it's something that I didn't do for a while, but now that I've been doing it, like I see the difference of getting things off your chest and just talking about it openly and helping you realize things you know, and going through the scenarios and all of that and kind of really coming to terms with it, it makes a big, big difference. Mental health is so important and you're right. It, it is stigmatized. People are like, oh, I'm not going to go see a therapist. There's nothing wrong with me or I'm not going to just, I'm not going to talk openly about the struggle, right? And it's, it's important that we do that because if we don't, we're just bottling in all these negative feelings and our bodies are, are very, very smart. If we bottle in negativity, it affects us on a cellular level our cells start to change that starts to create inflammation in our body. That inflammation turns into disease. That disease turns into, it could be anything from brain fog to fatigue to, I mean, you name it. So it all comes out to, it's up to us to really get rid of that negativity from our bodies. And sometimes the most powerful thing is just to talk about it, to vent it out, to let it go, to release it verbally so that you release it energetically inside your body too. It's so important. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's a big, big, big difference. And you feel so much better. Like I got to the point where I was like, oh my God, like a weight has been lifted off of my chest. And it's something that I didn't do for a while because I truly didn't understand it. Right. You can't until you're in it. And then once I was doing it, I was like, wow, like I, I see the difference between doing it and not doing it. And it, I feel so much healthier because unfortunately I do see so much sadness with the children, you know, because we don't do a one-time visit. I'm there like their children I've been visiting for more than 10 years. Like now they're a little bit older, but I started a decade ago with some of these kids. Like we don't go one time. They're kids that literally they live in the hospital. Like there's one kid I've been seeing for the past three years, four years. Like he hasn't gone home once since he lives there. And, you know, to, so to be able to go there, like I used to go every couple of weeks to visit him. And unfortunately the pandemic's been more FaceTime and stuff like that. But you know, so you get really, really attached to the kids because you become very friendly with the families and all that. So when, unfortunately, when the children do pass away, like it really hits hard. So that's why mental health is really important to do. And yeah. And what are some other ways that you stay grounded in all of that? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I love working out. I think it's really important to find your outlet of how to get out this energy as well. Like talking helps. We also need to do stuff just to release the endorphins. And sometimes if you're having like a, a harder day, kind of push harder and get that out, like through, you know, instead of working out kind of thing. So, you know, I know people say like, I want to punch the wall kind of thing, but you know, I, I just do bench press or stuff like that instead. So it's a much healthier mentality um, or, you know, spending time with people that I care about or stuff like that, you know, visiting my nieces and nephews, um, sometimes even just visiting the children. Like it makes me happy. Like yesterday I went out to visit a child who was just uh, released from the hospital 
she turned two. It's her second birthday and she's battling cancer. And, you know, to be there on her birthday, like to see her and take her for a ride in the car and see her smiling and laughing and just having fun. Like it made me happy. Like you can't even describe the feeling that you have to see like the parent smiling and the child happy and all of that, knowing like less than 12 hours before the kid was in a hospital bed with tubes and needles and all this other stuff hooked up to them. Like it's like night and day. And to be the reason why they're actually able to do that, like it just, it means everything in the world to me. Yeah. That's incredible. I, I love your perspective. I love your mentality. I love your heart. And it's a, it's a huge reason why you are as successful as you are today. And I hope the listeners hear that, you know, you've created an empire, a business that has afforded you the opportunity to have amazing material things, but now you're using those material things to create positive change and positive impact in the world. And by doing that, that's filling your cup, that's filling your heart, that's filling your joy tank, that happy tank. And so many people ask me all the time, Miku, define happiness. What makes you happy? And I'm like, happiness doesn't come until you know your purpose and you won't know your purpose till you find that thing and not a material thing, but an, an actionable thing, a service thing that when you do it, you feel a sense of internal validation that, that is uncomparable to anything that you've ever achieved, any achievement, any award, anything that you've ever gained, right? Any car, any house, any yacht, any plane, any of those things. It's a different sense of, okay, this is why, this is why I do it. This is why I go through tough times. This is why I'm struggling and failing forward. This makes sense. This feels good. Yeah. A hundred percent. And this was it. It took me a while. And once I found it, I was like, there's nothing in the world I'd rather do than just doing this. Like I want to retire and volunteer every day forever. Like that's all I want to do. If you could say you could never visit another kid or I'll give you a hundred trillion dollars. Like I don't want the money. Like it just, it wouldn't make me happy. I, I'd honestly be miserable. Like this is what makes me the happiest is knowing that I'm out there and being with these families and seeing them and just the smiles and just surprising them and the costumes. And there's so much that goes into it. It's not just about the visit. It's like this kid wanted to meet Mickey and Minnie Mouse. So I had to get custom made Mickey and Minnie Mouse costumes. And that one wants Batman and Robin. And that one wants Iron Man and Spider-Man and Elsa. And, and there's so much that goes on. And this one wants this car and that car. And this one loves pizza. And this one, like, there's so much behind the scenes. And then now I just bought like 500 costumes for the kids to wear. So I got like all kids costumes to give out to them because a lot of them can't afford to buy costumes because everything going on. So like now 500 children would have their own brand new costume for Halloween and just different stuff, like just little cute things, but it makes me so excited to go out. Like, honestly, I feel so much better when I was buying the costumes than I would buying a brand new Ferrari. Like wow. it's a totally different feeling because I know that 500 children are going to be so happy that they have their own costume. That's incredible. And it's a big deal. Like it sounds simple. But to them, it's not. And it's like, it's such an amazing feeling and thing. And like, I found my why factor. Like, this is what makes me the happiest. Like, there's nothing in the world I'd rather do. And I think it's really important to remember, like, love is endless, right? It's something that you could just keep giving and giving and giving, and it doesn't take away more, right? Think about it even from a relationship point of view. You start dating someone, right? Let's say I have a girlfriend and I love her and she's the person for me. And then I decide, you know what? I want to marry her. And I get married to her and I'm like, I can't love her any more than I already think I do. And the next day and the next day, I love her more and more and more until you have your first child. And you're like, oh my God, I can't love this person anymore. And that first child comes into your life and you're like, oh my God. And it just goes on and on and on. But now that I love my child, I love the wife. I love this. I love that. I love that. It doesn't take away from anything else out there. Like my love just could continuously grow each day for everyone and everything that's involved. 
And I think it's really important for people to know is that like, there's no limit on like what you could do or what you could give. And it's kind of like the same thing with kindness. Like just because I did one thing doesn't mean I can't do the next and the next and the next. Like it's kind of endless of what you could be doing to create that ripple effect. So yeah, it's definitely super, super important for people to like understand that like, and it makes you feel better. Like I love being there and seeing the reason why people are smiling and why they're happy, you know, they could in turn do it for someone else. So it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And smiles are contagious. So you make someone else smile, it comes right back to you. And that just makes you feel good too. I mean, try it right now. Everyone that's listening, go ahead and smile. Literally a big, wide tooth grinning smile. And tell me how you're starting to feel physiologically in your body just by smiling. You're starting to feel the muscles of your face lighting up. So you're getting a good face workout. You're starting to release those positive endorphins, that positive uh, feeling of joy, right? And it's just, it, it runs through your body. Smiling is contagious and it's so good for changing your mood. That's why comedy clubs are so popular. They're so good for us. Laughter, it's contagious. It changes the mood, right? It changes the energy. And one thing that I love that you've done, Josh, is you actually partnered with the NYPD. You've partnered with the police departments and you've gotten them involved in your, in your mission. So create a visual for us on what this looks like when you're going yeah. to see a kid and you have the NYPD. I mean, paint a picture. Definitely. Um, so NYPD and NASA County and state troopers and all these different agencies that I've partnered with. I mean, even I had the U S army and Marines and all these different ones that came through and like, it's just priceless because a lot of children wish, you know, like when you ask a little, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police officer. I want to, you know, that's your thing. And the police officers like come through and they really come out like a hundred percent. Like they come in and we make the child a custom uniform with their own name and badge and everything that they, their own little hat, like, and they kind of swear them in as if they're going to be an honorary police officer. And they kind of go through the entire process and we do a whole thing with Batman. And it's just like a whole day event for the kids. And we take them out to see the canine unit, which is all the dogs. And then the mountain unit, which is the horses. And we take them to aviation to see the helicopters and to see the boats and then like a tour. And like, they do so much. And then to take them into the armored trucks in case there's an incident. And then we take them into the, uh, the training station where they actually get the train to do the helicopter so the child gets a control as if they're flying a helicopter and it's really cool and we go through a whole entire itinerary for the children so it's not just like a one and done it's constantly going through and to have them there at times um you know to give them an escort if they're really not feeling well and coming well to get them to the hospital or doing certain things at, at funerals unfortunately like they've been super super helpful to kind of really be there for the children and help out. So yeah, it's been amazing to have them supporting us and teaming up with us and enabling us to do so much more for the children and their families. And I love how you depict all of that on your Instagram page where we can actually go on there and we can see the videos of you in an exotic car with the child next to you. And then you see this, this caravan of police cars with the sirens going and the music playing and everyone's in costume. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see and to witness. So I definitely urge our audience and our listeners to take a look at the Instagram page. Can you drop it for us really quick? The handle? Yes. It's Batman real account. And that's R E A L. So Batman real account, Batman real account. Really, really good stuff. You guys, you got to check out the stories. You got to check out the posts. It's incredible. It will light your day. If you're having a bad day, just go check out that account and you will start to have a different perspective, a different appreciation, a different understanding. And it just, it's all about perspective. You got to shift your perspective, get it off yourself and get it onto something greater, something bigger. 
than just you and what you're currently going through. Because the fact of the matter is we're all going through tough times. We're all going through challenges. And it's just about finding a way to help you manage that time and get to the other side because challenges, they don't last forever. They're just for now, but how are you going to get through it? And with what mindset, right? Yep, exactly. A hundred percent. I love that. So another question for you, Josh, and this can be in any realm of your life. It could be in business. It could be with a deal that you've brokered. It could be with starting your charity and getting that going. What was the greatest success from failure story that you've encountered to date and talk to us about how you got through it? How did you fail forward? The greatest success through failure. Well, I guess one of the struggles has been really just to create this because I never intended to have an organization. It wasn't like, oh, I wanted a nonprofit or I knew about that. Like when you're starting a corporation, you do tons of due diligence, you do the research, you do everything that's needed to get to that point. Like it was kind of like I visited that first child and then I kind of started doing it more often because I saw the impact that I was having. And then that social media grew, kind of grew even more. And it kind of just grew and grew and grew and grew without me wanting it to. It just kind of happened because of the authenticity and the people that wanting to give back and all of that. And then it was kind of like, okay, so I had one car and I needed more and I needed so many different things that all of a sudden like was just insane to like maintain and do and manage and all that. Um, and it was tough in the beginning. Like it was really, really tough. And then I realized like to partner with people, like I have a restoration company that's in Long Island. It's called ASAP Restoration. Like I met the, one of the owners of the company and he, this was about a year ago. It's like, look, I love what you're doing. He's like, I know that what you're doing is great. So I'm going to donate to you. And he donated a Lamborghini Aventador and a Rolls Royce Wraith to the organization. Like he wrote out a check and said, look, buy the cars and do it. I partnered with the Germazian family, which is the triple five group. Um, it's like the mall of America, the West Edmonton mall, American dream and tons of other companies. And we closed them all to the public. And like in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a thousand children coming to go to the water park or amusement park or indoor skiing or indoor ice skating, like for free. And there's so many things I wouldn't have been able to do without them. And I think the most important thing is like, sometimes you need to find the strategic partnerships and being open, right? Don't have a hidden agenda. Like I met Don Germazian in 2015, who's the CEO of the American Dream and spoke to him and openly about like what I do. And the whole reason why I met him was because of what I've been doing. And someone made the introduction and he loved it. And he was like, look, here's the code to my house. Here's the code to my garage. Here's this, come here and you know borrow my car anytime you want. If you don't do it, I'm going to be upset at you for not letting me be part of the mission. He's like, at the moment I'm building the mall. I'm traveling a lot, so I can't dedicate my time, but I could at least help you financially or help you with whatever you're trying to do. I can make connections to you. We could use my mall. We could do, and those are the most important parts. It's like, sometimes you need help and you need to partner with other people. You know, you need to bring in other people to assist you with what you're doing. And I think that's the most important part is understanding that it's okay to ask for help in business. You know, it's okay to ask advice. It's okay to lean on somebody else because sometimes it's impossible to do everything on your own. You know, imagine like Jeff Bezos on Amazon, right? He might, might've been the CEO of the company, but I guarantee you he had advisors and a bunch of other people that he was working with on a daily basis to get to where they are. And I think that's the most important part is, is finding that collaboration, that team that you want to build with and grow with and move forward because you're going to need that at some point, yeah. even so much to ask advice to, right? Before I do certain investments and stuff like that, like I'll speak to certain people that are quote unquote, not just a financial advisor, like a mentor. 
And I have different mentors for different things. Like one could be for real estate. One could be for tech. One is for apps. One is for this, like all different things, because each one might have certain knowledge in certain industries. So I don't know if I have like one mentor. I have tons of different people. Like I have certain people I speak to just about like mental health or for the children and stuff like that. So there's so many different people that I look up to and so many people that I'm connected to on like a daily basis because of the, the need for it in order to be able to succeed in all the different areas. Like, I don't want to just succeed in business. I don't want to just succeed in, in, you know, the nonprofit and this, and like the list is endless in order to do that. I need to be vulnerable and say, look, can you assist me with certain things? Can you guide me with certain things? And doing that. I think that's the most important part. Like you said, is getting over your pride, getting over the greed, getting over your ego and saying like, okay, like I, I'm still an amazing person just because you need help from someone doesn't make you any less. If anything, like I look at people as being stronger. Vulnerability you know, is so important in positioning. Like you're talking about positioning, you positioned yourself for success because you only have a finite amount of energy and time in a certain day to accomplish certain things. But if you have a team of people around you that can help you further the mission and you can divide in order to multiply and conquer, it just makes it that much easier. I should say to become successful because you have the support, you have the support and you have a different set of eyes to help you kind of mitigate some of the struggles along the way as well. Yep. A hundred percent, you know, and it took me time to realize that. And like, once I did, like my life became so much better and easier because like now I don't have to struggle as much. It's if I need that assistance, if I need that guidance, if I need that answer, like I know where to go. And I think that's the most important part is being vulnerable because that will enable you to be more successful in whatever you're doing, not just business in life. And yeah. I think realizing that embracing it and doing it, your life will be so much better in the long run. It might not switch overnight, but it takes time to make that change. And once you do, you'll have a much better, happier, more successful life. So true. How did you find these mentors and these coaches? Because having mentors is so important. People that have gone before you figured it out, having coaches is so important. Even the highest level athletes that are incredible and they're getting paid millions of dollars a year to do their sport. They still have coaches. They have people that are helping them fine tune and stay at the top of their game. It's so important to have those mentors, those coaches on your side. How did you find yours? Yeah. So just really from being out there, right. Just from going to business meetings and networking and all these kinds of things and meeting people and seeing people that I kind of resonated with and understood who I was and supported my mission, not, not in terms of supported and writing a check, but they just believed in who I am. And they saw me for me, you know, it wasn't about the fact that, okay, he's got this or he's got that or does this or does that. It was like, okay, this is Josh. And then kind of resonated with each other and accepted each other for who we are and kind of developed that relationship. And kind of got to that point and said, look, I want to see you more successful. So I want to help you. And I do the same thing for other people. It's like, if I have the knowledge, if I could guide somebody to avoid the mistakes that I've made, so why not? Like, I would love to see people successful. And that's kind of what they're doing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Genuine relationships, selfless relationships. Yeah. It's a hard thing to do right now in this time and age with the pandemic and a lot of us still in quarantine. What's your advice for people that are trying to get back out there and trying to connect and not, you know, break this habit of isolation? What do we do? How do we get back to connection? How do we get back to building relationships? Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, it took a long, long time. And unfortunately, it might take some more depending on where you are. Um, but you know, I think social media has helped a lot in a way that like, at least we could FaceTime, you could go onto different apps and talk to people and stuff like that. You could pick up the phone and talk to people. Um, so I think that definitely made it a little bit 
easier in a way that there still was some sort of a connection. Um, and then I think as things slowly open up, like take advantage of that within the rules and regulations of whatever you are able to do based in your area, and then slowly get back into that normal situation. Like right now we're doing this, you know, you could do a Zoom talk or something like that. And even though it's not in person, but at least you're doing something. And I think slowly get back to what we quote unquote took for granted as being a normal life. 100%. We, we tend to take a lot of things for granted. <laughs> yep. Why is human nature that way? Why do we take things for granted? Why do we have such a hard time appreciating the things that we have while trying to build towards the things that we'd like to have? Yeah. So it's actually one thing that I was brought up with my grandmother. Um, she always used to tell me, don't look above you, look below you. And I was one thing that I was taught as a child, not to look down upon people, but there's so many people that are below you wishing for the things that you're taking for granted. And I was like, Oh, you're not happy with your bike. You're not happy with your car. You're not happy with your job. You're not happy with your house. You're not happy with this, right? This goes on and on and on and on and on. How many people don't have a house? How many people don't have a job? How many people don't have a bike? How many people don't have a car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, appreciate the things that you have. And it helped really shape my definition of wealth. Like now where I am, and the experiences that I've had, like my definition of someone that's rich, someone that's wealthy is someone that's happy with what you have. Rich for me isn't someone that's a billionaire because there are plenty of billionaires that are the most miserable people in the world because their neighbor, their business partner, their friend, their whatever, their arch enemy has more money than them. And even though he's got 5 billion and the other one is 5.1, now he's got a 5.2 because the extra 0.2 billion dollars is going to enable him to do what? Nothing more than he could do with the 5 billion. It doesn't actually make a difference. And it's just so that is just a huge, huge, huge thing is like, don't take things for granted anymore. Your health, right? How many people lost their sense of taste and smell, right? Obviously, there's so many people lost loved ones during COVID. But let's even take it a step down. How many people had COVID recovered, but lost their sense of taste, their sense of smell, right? These things that you wake up and you take for granted, the fact that I could drink a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, eat something, actually know what it is versus so many people that for months would be eating or drinking and would have no clue what they're eating or drinking because it, it tasted like nothing. Yeah. And even that's something that we never thought of. It, it's the little things like appreciating the little things like our ability to breathe, right? Yeah. So many people that were going through COVID, they were struggling to take a breath. They were struggling to get air. So many people were struggling with, I mean, I think we all struggled with it to a certain degree in the last year, year and a half with depression or anxiety or isolation or these feelings of just what is happening with my life right now. And that mental clarity, right? We, we weren't appreciating the things that we had before the world kind of got pulled out from underneath us. Like the rug got pulled and it's like, all right, here's my, my way of telling you, you have to slow down. You have to live in the present moment and nothing else that you're doing matters. Just just get present, get grounded with yourself. And it led a lot of people to really, A, they weren't appreciating what they had before the pandemic. And then B, they're trying to sit here and live with this new normal and find joy in it. Yeah, that's true. Such a struggle. So one thing that you said that was huge, and I want to make sure we reiterate it, mm-hmm. is comparison. Comparison is thief of joy. When you're sitting there and constantly comparing yourself to your next door neighbor, we call it the Jones effect. The Jones have it, so now I got to get it too. We're chasing the American dream. Who came up with the American dream? Who said it had to be big, fancy 
house, bunch of fancy cars with a private jet, with this, with that, married with two kids. What? Who said that had to be the dream? Find out what your ideal vision is of your life. What does the perfect life look like for you? Is it with a partner? Is it not? Is it with children? Is it not? Is it in a home or is it just traveling and living by Airbnb, right? What is the ideal situation for you? That's going to really fill your cup and make you feel like I am living my best life and I'm having fun while I'm at it. You got to, you got to work to play, you got to work to play, but you have to play. You have to play. Yeah. 100%, 100% agree with everything you just said. Super, super, super important for people to hear, to understand and to implement in their lives. Yeah. So, I mean, I I would think that your charitable work in a certain degree is play for you, right? I mean, you're getting dressed up in costume. You're trying to figure out ways to get super creative and just make like a huge event for these children. So A, you're doing something that's so incredible for society, for these kids, but you're also playing and having fun along the way. So you go and you work hard from your work. You then have the ability, the means to go and have these things and to create these experiences for these children. And you're playing through all of it. You have such a well-rounded life. It's incredible. Yeah. It's definitely awesome to be able to get up and put on a Batman suit instead of wearing my actual suit. Um, yeah. You know, it's definitely a lot more fun and to be able to go out. And then even as I'm out, you know, I'll go to pick up donuts or coffee or toys or whatever. And I'm in between kids and I'm picking up more for them. And I'm in my costume and the reactions while I'm driving in one of the cars dressed as Batman, like all day, people are just smiling and taking pictures and all that. Like, it's great to know, like people appreciate it. Like, it's just, it's funny to see a guy walking down the street on a Monday afternoon dressed as Batman. Like what? Like in Times Square. Okay. But long out, like why, you know? That's awesome. I love it. And you actually took your car in and you got it retrofitted to be a Batmobile. Did you not? Yeah. A lot of the cars are retrofitted. It's the Batman theme. So they're pretty much all black or matte black or satin black, like just something of that sort, because I want it to be Batman themed. So Batman carpeting and buttons and louder than normal and all that, like the Lamborghini, I put on a Lamborghini race car exhaust to make it louder for the kids. And just each thing is just something to make it more special. My goal is, like you said, like I can't cure in the illness, but while I'm there, if I can make them forget about that illness, even for a minute, it's worth everything. And that's kind of my goal. It's like, this kid is battling whatever, right? Fill in the blank, cancer, rare disease, whatever it is. How can I make that child feel like a child? And it's just, that's my goal. It's what could I do to this car, to this thing, to that, to be able to make it more special? What could I wear to make it cooler? Like sometimes when I'm going out, it's just me, like, I have gold sneakers and and silver sneakers and blue and pink and white and green. And they have lights on them and just whatever, just anything. So like I'm out there, just something different for the kids to just see and laugh and smile and ask about, or just, you know, look at it like, Oh my God, his sneakers are glowing in the dark or, you know, just something, whatever. So I kind of just think of anything to make it special so that while I'm there, it's like just something that they're not used to seeing something they're not used to hearing the Lamborghini, the doors go up when I go. So I'll pull up to the hospital. I'll have the doors kind of opened up or the Rolls Royce. If I push a button, the doors close on their own or the lights on the ceiling inside the car, like the stars. And it's like a shooting, like just whatever, anything to just make it special. So cool. I love your mission. I love your heart. I love your vision. I think it's incredible. And if there's any way that we can support you, please let us know. In closing, if there was any word of advice or any statement that you could leave the audience with, 
what could you pour into us that we can go into the world with a better perspective with a heart of gold like yours? Definitely. Um, so I think it's just to keep in mind that no matter what you're going through in life, there's always someone else that has it worse. And that through the dark times, there will be light. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. No matter how deep and dark and scary the tunnel seems, there's always light at the end of it. Even if the, at this moment, it seems like this is the worst thing in the entire world. Like I promise you, if you keep pushing forward, you will get through that tunnel. You will get through that. It might not be easy. I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight. But like when I lost my sister, like that was the darkest time in my entire life. That's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And like, it took a long time to recover. I didn't recover in a day, in a week, in a month. It took a very long time to really like cope with it and understand like what happened because it was such a sudden shock, right? She passed away in seven days. Like it was not normal for a healthy child to, to happen. But eventually like I did recover. I did get through it. You know, I'm still living, I'm here, I'm healthy and I'm moving on. But I think that's the most important part. And I talk about that because that's like the, the darkest thing that could ever happen to someone. Yeah. I could always make more money. I can't bring my sister back, right? There's so many people that went bankrupt and they end up making money again and they get a new job, a new business, whatever. But you can't do that with other things. I think that's just important to know is like keep pushing forward and it's, it's okay to ask for help, right? Go to therapy if you need to talk, ask for friends, have mentors, try to be there for others as well. Or right? if you could help someone do that within whatever capacity that you have. And to just have that mentality, like you have the capacity to change the entire world. You know, I was brought up with the mentality, like if you save one person, you save the entire world because everyone in their own right has the ability to change the world for the better. And I think that's really important to know like your value. It doesn't matter if you're prettier, if you're taller, if you're thinner, if you're this or that, you're richer, you're poorer, right? None of that matters at all. Like there's a reason why you are you. And you should only just try to be the best version of you. And that's kind of what I try to do every day is the only person that I compare myself to is the person that I was yesterday. And I just want to be better than that person. And my goal tomorrow is to be better than the person I was today. And that's it. I don't compare myself to anybody else because I'm not like anybody else. I'm me. You know, if we were all the same, the world would be boring. Like that's what makes us unique. And I think once people realize that and understand that and embrace it, you could have a much healthier and happier lifestyle. You don't need external things to make you happy. You know, it, it's got to start from within and then these things can make you happier. But if that external thing is your whole entire premise to being happy, you're never going to be happy. And I think it's really important for people to understand it's got to start within and then it could come without. So that's definitely the message that I would want to leave off for everyone to hear. I love that. That's so beautiful. You've inspired me now. I'm not even a coffee drinker, but I'm going to go to Starbucks. I'm going to get in the <laughs> drive through line only to make sure that there's a car behind me so I can buy their coffee. I'm going to get to the front and say, okay, can I have a tea? Can I have a green tea, matcha green tea latte, whatever, but make sure the person behind you put their order on my tab. Cause I want to do that. I want to give back and don't tell them where it came from. Oh, I've done that. I've done there. that kind of thing. Or I'll go with like the cars and, you know, I'll be parking somewhere actually like a week ago I was on clubhouse and I pulled over because I was actually speaking on a panel and the car was too loud so I pulled over to talk and while I pulled over there was like a grandmother walking with her three grandchildren and they started freaking out I was in the convertible Ferrari and they're like oh my god this is my dream car I've always loved it and I was like okay you want to take a picture he's like yes yeah. so he's saying next to it I'm like no I'm like go in the driver's seat he's like what I'm like go in the car like it's like really I'm like here's the key start the engine rev the engine like they were like seriously I'm like why not? I'm like, 
And I do that all the time. Like I love just making people happy. Like, and it made me think of it. Sometimes when I go to Starbucks or Dunkin' or whatever, you know, I'll pull up and the parking lot's mostly empty. And like the employees are all like drooling over the car. I'm like, do you want to go in it? They're like, what? I'm like, yeah. And they were like, oh my God. And they all like run out, like all of them coming in and it's so just like cool. cool. So yes, I, I definitely get it. So yes, pay for the coffee for the person behind you. Smile at them. Say good morning. There's so many different things. Hold the door open. Do all these basic things that will make the person better. You know, make the world a better place. Random acts of kindness. That is my new hashtag for you. Random acts of kindness. Hashtag golden heart. Hashtag do good things. Josh, mm-hmm. you are incredible, my friend. Thank you so much for spending the time with us on the Failing Forward podcast for sharing your story for sharing your mission and for sharing your passion for everything that you're doing. We truly appreciate it. And I cannot wait to connect with you and see where you're going to be in three months from now, six months from now, a year from now with this organization, check it out. You guys smiles through cars is a charity and you can go and check it out. Smiles through cars.com on there. You can also refer a kid. So refer someone to have their dream brought into fruition. Josh is located in Long Island, New York, but he has access everywhere and he's looking to grow and expand all over the nation. If there's a way that you want to contribute, that you want to get involved, go onto the website, send him a message. You can DM him on Instagram. His DMs are open. Batman real account. He is here to help. He is here to serve smiles through cars.com. Check it out. We cannot wait to see where it goes in a year from now. Thank you, Josh, so much. 